It's happening, y'all. People are getting saved, not just here at church, but at the Texas stop sign, Dairy Queen. Mm, I love that. I love that. On January 3rd, I was driving my family back home from the mountains of Colorado. It was dusk. It was about 15 degrees. Very, very, very cold. The lighting wasn't very good yet. Sun was still trying to come up over the mountains. And in the middle of the road, off in the distance, I saw this woman like flailing her arms. And she was like a crazy woman. And I was like, well, we are in Colorado. <laughs> She's high as a kite. And um, I was like, be careful about this one. And as I got a little bit closer though, I, I looked into her eyes and there was a sincerity. There was an urgency. And she was like, slow down, slow down. And we came almost to a stop as we rounded the corner. And there in the middle of the road was an elk that had been hit. And the vehicle was in my lane of traffic. And it dawned on me like at that moment um, that this woman had just saved us from having an accident and may have saved our lives. And I've been thinking about that story a lot in this, this series that we're in called Soul Winning. And I'm just so thankful that God sent his son, Jesus, who had an urgency and had such a burden uh, for 33 years, it was such a short time. And three years, his first 30 years prepared him for this three-year window of, of ministry and missions where he made disciples who would make disciples. But his whole mission was to seek and save the lost. And he gave us an assignment. He gave us a mission, didn't he? It's very, very clear that we are to pursue, we are to find the lost to help them get saved and to help the saved become discipled and help the disciples to be sent, to be mobilized, to fulfill the Great Commission. That it's not just a task for pastors or super Christians. It is a task, it is a, an assignment for all of us who follow the Lord. You are all called to go and make disciples. You're all called to be witnesses of Jesus Christ. Now, why do you do the things you do and who do you do them for? Why should you witness? Why should you win souls for the Lord? What is the motive? If it's not because you experience the burden of the Lord and you wanna bring joy to our Father, then, then any other reason will not be sustainable. There's a, a Jewish story that is told that, uh, that when the day that the Israelites were saved near the Red Sea and the Egyptian army was drowned, that there was a great celebration in heaven. Angels were singing and they were dancing and they were shouting. And one of the angels made an observation and went up to Michael the archangel and said, hey, I, I, I noticed that God's not here celebrating with all of heaven that is rejoicing. And there's so much joy, where is God? Michael said, God was here earlier and he was rejoicing, but now he is by himself and he is weeping. You see, thousands of people drown today. It is important that we understand the burden of the Lord. When is the last time you have felt God's anguish for people that are around you who are eternally lost? Would you open your Bibles with me to our key verse today in the New Testament, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. You won't find that story in the Bible anywhere. It's folklore, but it definitely reveals part of the nature of the Lord, doesn't it? It, it reveals some of his heart for his children who are lost. The verse that we're gonna focus on today 
the Holy Spirit inspires Peter to write this in response to many who are maybe skeptical about if the Lord is really coming back and maybe why he is not coming back sooner rather than later. The Bible says in 2 Peter 3, verse 9, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all, how many? But that all should reach repentance. Every soul matters to God. Your neighbor matters to God. Your crazy brother-in-law that you can't stand (laughs) matters to God. Everyone matters to the Lord. But it's important that we understand this grieving heart of the Lord, this burden that God has for his lost children. If you don't know the heart of the Lord, this burden of the Lord, then you truly don't know all of God's character and his nature. Because when you know the burden of the Lord, it will, you'll know more of the Lord and you'll know how to pray and, and you will live your life in such a way that, has, that can have an eternal impact rather than just a temporal impact here on earth. In Genesis chapter six, we discover, it's one of many passages of scripture where we see and discover the burden of the Lord. It was God's judgment. It was coming with full force as a result of sin. God made his children. He made his children with a desire to have fellowship. He gave them free will, free choice. And some chose to disobey God and it broke his heart. It says that the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he made man on the earth and it grieved him to his heart. We see the grieving heart of the Lord. Have you ever experienced true grief? Maybe the loss of someone, the loss of something. I remember the first time I heard the phone call come when my grandma, my grand, passed away. It felt like someone just punched me in the gut and it was very emotional and it came out, I wasn't even, it was just immediate and the grief that I, I felt, it was powerful. It was a powerful emotion that I'll never forget. But imagine that's how the Lord feels when we reject him, when we walk in sin. You see, sin is a violation. It, 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 it hurts a, a relationship that God as a loving father wants to have with you and his children. And because God is just, there is a wrath there is, there is going to be a moment where, where there has to be justice, but that is why God sent his son, Jesus, to die on the cross. You see, in Genesis 6, we see, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. And even in the midst of impending judgment and the wrath of God that he found, Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord, that there was grace. Isaiah chapter Isaiah chapter 53, verse three is a prophetic scripture about Jesus. It says that he would be a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. 400 years ago, a Frenchman by the name of Robert Stevens was given the task of dividing the Bible into chapters and verses. And for only a reason known to Robert, he gets to John chapter 11 and he reads this passage and he's studying this passage and there's one verse that It could only contain two words, Jesus wept. Now, if I asked you what is the shortest verse in the Bible, you would know that, many of you would know that verse. 
But have you ever really contemplated, have you thought deeply about that verse? That Jesus wept. And the context of that verse was him seeing Mary and Martha who were grieving over the lost brother, Lazarus. Now Jesus knew that he was gonna raise him from the dead. He doesn't correct, he doesn't rebuke Mary and Martha because of their lack of faith. He just sees their grief and it says that Jesus empathizes to the place where he's weeping with them. He weeps. There's another place in scripture where Jesus is looking out, maybe from the Mount of Olives, that he's looking out to to Jerusalem and he sees all of the sheep without a shepherd, all of these little chicks without a a hen gathering. And, And it says that he is moved with compassion. Quite literally, the Greek language means that his inner bowels were moved and turning inside of him. There was such a, a weight and a heaviness that Jesus was moved with compassion. These examples show what Hebrews chapter four, verse 15 and 16 declare about Jesus. It says, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. How many of you are grateful you serve a God who understands the temptations, the trials, the pain, the rejections, the loneliness, the fears, all that we go through that God can say, me too. Aren't you grateful that we serve a God? It says, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may find mercy and grace in our time of need. The Bible says to rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. And we should rejoice with a God who rejoices and rejoice what he rejoices over. Luke 15, seven, we know that he rejoices over one lost sinner, but we should also weep when he weeps. We should cry when he cries. We should feel the burden and feel the broken heart, what, his, what causes his heart to be broken. And John 11, verse 36, those who were observing how Jesus was weeping, he saw they saw the compassion that Jesus had for Mary and Martha. And it said they, they, scripture says that the Jews said, see how he loved him, how he loved Lazarus. He was weeping also for Lazarus, weeping for Mary and Martha. Like, have you ever loved someone so much that you wept for them? that you cared so much about their eternity, that you cared so much about where their standing was with God, that you wept for them, that you prayed for them, that you were so burdened for them. And it's important to have this mode of of a, a burden of the Lord for people if we're going to be soul winners. But it's not enough just to have compassion. It's not enough just to pray. We must be men and women of action. Thank God that, He didn't just see us in our broken state full of sin. Because he was so just, he sent his son, Jesus. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. And he hung on a tree and he died. His blood was spilt for the forgiveness of our sins. He rose from the grave. He's alive, but he was a person who came fully God, fully man. But he was was full of action. He, He had the burden, but he also acted upon this. And so I want us to to discover four action steps that all of us can take, making this very practical, how to be a soul winner. It's not enough, again, to have a burden, but that burden, if it's a God-sized burden, will be action-oriented. So the first action step of a God-sized burden is that you will value all people. Every soul matters to God. 
I want you to look at the person next to you and say, Jesus really loves you. And say, Jesus loves the people around you. He loves the people that you don't know very well. He loves the people you don't like. So you're like, whoa, 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 wait, wait a second. He does, like he cares. And that we should see people through the lens that they have intrinsic value, that God created in his image and that he desires to have a relationship. He's patient, he's kind, but he desires them to come to repentance. And he's, he's the one who saves, but he invites us in this partnership. He invites us into this mission. But we must value, we must be intentional in valuing people around us. I'm reading through a book called The Passion for Souls by Oswald Smith. It was a, it was a book that, that had a big influence on Billy Graham's life. And the author is writing about a couple of soul winners, Charles Finney and David Brainerd, and he makes this observation of one of them. He says, I have often seen him come downstairs in the morning after spending several hours in prayer with his eyes swollen, swollen with weeping. He would soon introduce the subject of, of his anxiety by saying, I am broke, I'm a brokenhearted man. Yes, I indeed, I am an unhappy man. Not for myself, but on account of others. God has given me such a sight of the value of precious souls that I cannot live if souls are not saved. Oh, give me souls or else I die. How many of you have had this kind of a, a burden that you've prayed for souls to be saved, that you valued them, that you felt God's anguish for them? May you not be so apathetic or cold to those who are around you, but would you experience the burden of the Lord? A God-sized burden will not just value people, but a God-sized burden develops relationships with lost people. You're intentional, you're pursuing people. This is how we got started as a church. The genesis of Gateway Fellowship is that a small group of believers met in a living room praying for our community. And we stopped going through drive-throughs. We stopped going, uh, paying at the pump. And, and, and we were going inside at the banks and hanging out before and after school and on the ball field and walking in our neighborhoods and meeting people. And as we were meeting people, we were developing friendships and we were remembering names. And we wrote down, wrote down names on butcher paper. And every day and every week, our team would gather and we would pray for these names. We would pray for these people. And, and day by day, week by week, the Lord would give us such a burden for our community and such a love for the lost that we would give our lives to see people hear the good news of Jesus and have a chance to respond to the saving knowledge of the Lord. It's why we are still existing as a church. And I pray that we would never become so comfortable, so inward, so isolated, that we would forget our mission, that we would forget the humble beginning, but rather we would know that God's heart still beats for those who are lost and that we would still embrace an outward expression of the love and that we would not have a fear of people, but we would have the fear of God, that we would not just care about ourselves, but we would care about those who were lost and that we would experience God's broken heart and be intentional about learning names and developing friendships with those who are around us in the gym, on the golf course, in the marketplace, in restaurants, in places where we work, in our neighborhoods, around the, din the dining room table with our friends and family members. We would be intentional about building friendships who are lost.
Another action step that we can take as a result of a God-sized burden is that we would live a life that is attractive. That we would live a life that is attractive. A problem that some of us have that you just need to be confronted of is that there might be a Christian love deficit. <laughs> like you need to show the love of God and be grace-filled, be gracious in your words and your actions with other people. The reason we lack, attract, we lack being attractive is that we, we fail to value other people. and We maybe fail to have this intimate relationship with the, love, with the Lord. But when we're close to the Lord, we have such a love for the Lord, it just can't help but spill out to other people. There's, there's a joy, there's a love for others. Jesus in his Sermon on the Mount has called us to be light to the world and to be salt on the earth. We don't need to keep the salt in the salt shakers or keep the light underneath the, the bushel. Like he, he wants us to be outward. And so what if you every morning pray, God, it's a brand new day wherever I go. Help me to shake a little bit of salt, to shine some light where there's dark places, to add some seasoning, to add some little spice and to, to talk about Jesus. But, but man, this is what I want. I want to give you a very practical, very important principle to write down, okay? Before you, you share the good news of Jesus, before you listen to a, a faith story or share your own faith story, it's very important. Write this down, all right? Very important that you get this. Number one, be nice. <laughs> be nice. Don't be a Christian ogre, all right? Don't be so consumed with just wanting to fix people and, and I, I gotta tell the truth all the time and, and win people's hearts. Be a friend, all right, there will be times to have a hard conversation. God will lead you in that. But Jesus was full of grace and he was full of truth. Grace says, I love you no matter what. Truth says, I've got to be honest with you no matter what. But there needs to be grace. There needs to be love. Be nice, be nice. And I pray that the Lord would help me to make people hungry. Make people hungry. We all go through trials, right? Difficult times. When I see people who go through a difficult time, I used to be so empathetic, especially if they didn't know Jesus. I knew they didn't have a relationship with the Lord. And I would be like, man, I'm just so sorry you're going through this and kind of him haw around it. But now I, I, I'm just kind of like a little bit more, kind of changed my approach. I'm praying that they would be hungry. So I was like, you know what? It's too bad that you're going through that. I, I, man, I wish you had my faith. And then I will share my story of an experience that I've had where I've overcome. And the only reason I overcame because it was the help of, of the Lord and how he got me through it. And, and, and so I will use that as a bridge to help people, make them hungry that they can trust in the Lord. But we need, to, we need to have opportunities where our lives are attractive, no matter what we go through, that there is a sparkle in our eyes, there's a passion, there's a joy, there's a love. That, that just attracts people, that they're so interested in how we live, that they ask questions, but, but, but we don't also wait for questions to be asked, that we pursue people as well, make friendships. The, the final action step that we can take because of a God-sized burden is that we look for ways to share our faith every day. Look for ways to share your faith every day. Pray a dangerous prayer. Just pray, God, don't just bring someone in my path who doesn't know you, but, but help me to intersect someone else's path. Pray that, pray for creativity. A week and a half ago when our, our team, our staff team went out, we're doing this a couple of times, at least a couple of times a month where we're spending our Tuesday mornings going out in our community to coffee shops and parks and, 
And uh, the, I took a couple of young men with me. We went to the Holotus disc golf course. We played a couple of holes, but we noticed there was a man who was walking that long path around their recreational fitness equipment. And so I said, hey guys, let's walk the opposite way. So we crossed paths with him. And we did. And uh, his name was Mark. He lives in the neighborhood. And he gave us about 20 minutes of his time. And we listened to his story. He came to San Antonio because he served in the military. And, and he lives here. He, he was a Catholic when he was a child. And, and I gave him a Bible. And I shared the good news of Jesus. And I said, would you respond to the good news? He loves you. Would you? I just gave him a moment of being able to, to surrender his life to Jesus. And he said, I can't. And I asked him why. He said, I can't get past how a loving God would allow suffering, the suffering of children. And so we began to unpack that and talk about it a little bit. And, and I encourage you, man, it's a difficult subject. It's a hang up that a lot of people have, but a lot of people struggle with how can a loving God, a merciful God send people to hell? And I would ask that you would, that you'd really think this through and know the truth that, man, that is God's desire that he loved the world that he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross, right? That's the good news that he, he provided a way out. He provided a way that Jesus is the, the way, the truth and the life and that we have an opportunity to, to trust in Jesus and be saved. And we should boldly proclaim that good news to the, of the gospel to others around us. You know, Whenever I get into a vehicle with an Uber driver, I'm out of town, or I pray the Lord when I play golf, like I will meet people, I'm trying to do my best. And there's sometimes I fumble and I mess up and I'm not as bold sometimes as I need to be, or I don't say the right things. How many of you have ever been there? Like after the conversation, you're like, man, I should have said this. We all probably been there, right? The Bible says, he who wins souls is wise. And I don't think people just get wise overnight. It starts with a burden, but the more you do it, the more practice, the more dependent you are, dependent you are on the Lord, the more you pray, that you learn from your previous conversations. Like I used to like shy away from my occupation. If I'm on an airplane, people, you know, they get, to, what do you do for a living? And I'd be like, I'm a teacher. Cause they come out of the gates with a pastor. And it's like, instantly I felt like it was like this, it widened the gap. And, people thought, you know, here we go. But, but now I don't shy away from it. I like volunteer it because I get into a conversation where maybe I've listened to a story. And, and then I'll, as, we, as our time comes to a close, I'll often ask, is there anything that I can pray with you about? Like, what kind of pastor would I be <laughs> if I didn't pray with you or didn't ask you? Most of the time people will volunteer a need and I'll spend time praying and I'll just, man, ask the Lord to give me a loving heart, really care but I'll always follow that up with talking about the most important need in their life. And do you, are you right in your relationship with God? Do you know the Lord personal, personally? And many times that opens up the door to share the good news of Jesus Christ. And we should all be willing to do that, right? It might be a little scary, but let's not, and God's given us the Holy Spirit that we share his burden of the Lord. So this is, your, this is the practical challenge for you this week. To ask God to bring one person or you to pursue one person to listen to a story, be nice, be a friend, but to listen to their story, maybe their faith story, and then share your story and share the good news of Jesus. Find a way to bring Jesus up in a conversation, all right? Maybe some of you need to not just count conversions, count the conversations, and those conversations will eventually lead to a conversion by faith. I have a friend who I met about a month and a half ago. 
met him at his workplace and we just struck up a real easy conversation. And, and as I got to know him and I listened to his story, he asked to hear my story and the story of our church. And he was really interested. And so I, I shared the good news of Jesus, gave him a, a Bible. And, and he said, I'm this close, I'm this close from, from stepping over the line. And uh, I said, I wanna be praying for you. I pray that you will get there. And then the next time I saw him, uh, in fact, it was a week ago, a week and a half ago, Tuesday, when our team went out, I went to go see my friend at his workplace and I pursued him. And I said, can I just have five minutes of your time? I said, I haven't stopped praying for you. And with tears, I, I said, you know, what is it that's keeping you from, from taking that step? He said, I've got too many skeletons in the closet and some of those skeletons I'm going back to. And, and I just, just shared again how God would forgive him if he would confess and repent his sin before God. He didn't surrender his life to the Lord, but he's still another step closer. I'm not gonna stop praying. I'm not gonna stop pursuing. I'm not gonna stop being his friend. Can you imagine what it would take if, if our church family really got bit by that soul winning bug? If we really experience this burden of the Lord that causes us to be moved to action, the church as a whole, only 1% will only, will only personally lead someone to the Lord. That means most of you have never experienced the joy of leading someone to Jesus. It should not be. I see a room full of soul winners. I see a room full of disciple makers. You may not be perfect and you may not know all the verses, you can be obedient. You say, God, use me. I want to care like you care. I want to act like you act. I want to open my mouth, model the good news of Jesus, but talk to others about Jesus as well.